a radio show that confesses Christ. Without confusing the law and the gospel. A radio show that takes scripture seriously. Without taking ourselves so seriously. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. And the problem that God has with that is that he didn't command it or institute it. He, he, he only wants images that he commands and institutes to be made. And when he makes himself, when, it, when the scripture says that Jesus is the very image of God, then he has made an image of himself for us, Jesus. And if we were to not have pictures of Jesus, then we would be breaking the second commandment. But now all this rests upon this moment and that you must do the right thing in order to reap the benefits of this. If you're going to be forgiven, if you're going to be atoned for, if you're going to get the imputed righteousness of God, you must then do this. And and this is what's so terrible about what we call decision theology is that it, it takes everything away of the gospel and puts it all back on the law. I mean, this is a stop the press sort of thing to see God, you know? Wow! That's amazing! Stop the song! Tell us about that! That's great! Listener be warned, this is Table Talk Radio. <laughs> That's like, uh, pirates be warned. (laughs) (laughs) Today's edition of Table Talk Radio is a good one. Um, Believe it or not, I I think we have a good show. This is a Calvinist invasion. (laughs) (laughs) It's like when the Beatles came to the United States. (laughs) (laughs) Later in the program, we're going to have Pastor uh, Charmley from, uh, I I wrote it down, uh, Stoke-on-Trent, UK, United Kingdom. Uh, He's going to be joining us um, in the last two segments of Table Talk Radio. Uh, I was thinking because Pastor Charmley comes on, he's a Calvinist, but he has the advantage of having a British accent, I assume. So um, I think uh, I think I might have to talk in an Australian accent to oh, counteract no. that. This is going to be miserable. It's coming when, back, mate. When, whenever. <laughs> Not a problem. This, you know, Table Talk Radio just takes a plunge for the worst whenever we have someone on that has an accent. Pastor Wolfner goes nuts. <laughs> I've got no idea what you're talking about. I go off like a kangaroo in a box. <laughs> oh, no, that's not good. Don't, just stop. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> All right, well, but first, before we uh, pass, uh, talk to Pastor Charmley, uh, we're going to be listening to our voicemail system at 1-800-385-SOLA. Uh, and then also our Sola. email system. <laughs> Sola. Sola. I, I, we got a nice, easy uh, message or phone number for you to remember so that now you can announce the phone number as well. That's right. one eight 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 something 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 Never mind. Sola. <laughs> Never mind. Just, just go lie down. I'll let you know when it's time for you to come on. <laughs> you assume that I'm not lying down? <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. You're, you're laying across your desk right now. <laughs> uh, well, you just got to church, so that, that's, prob- that's probably true. Oh, I know. All right, uh, but we're gonna uh, also look at our emails uh, from the listeners. Uh, questions at tabletalkradio.org. You can always send in uh, questions um, through that that email system. Questions at tabletalkradio.org. But first, buzzwords, and uh, I know that you need a little bit more time to. Get no, no, it. I got it. I got it. Oh. I mean, I got. I'm looking for a better one, but okay. I got one on deck. Keep hitting random. Yep, I am. <laughs> Well, I, uh, in, during the, the theme music, grabbed my, my hymnal. It has this little glossary in here. And oh, yeah. uh, I'm going to go with the theological buzzword of benediction. And uh, the benediction is the blessing from the Lord spoken by the pastor at the conclusion of the service. <laughs> the ironic benediction is from Numbers chapter 6. 
and the uh, um, apostolic benediction is from Second Corinthians chapter 13. Um, but uh, we can also say about the benediction that uh, when you receive the Lord's blessing from the pastor, you're hearing, uh, ultimately, you're hearing what, what uh, God thinks of you, that he that he you know, makes his face shine upon you, that, that he uh, is delighted in you, uh, not because of, of you, but he's delighted in you because of Christ. Uh, for the sake of, of his death and resurrection, uh, he now views us uh, in faith um, uh, as, as his perfect children, uh, as his adopted sons, uh, as given to us through baptism. So um, that's, that's all included in the benediction when the pastor bestows the, the blessing from God. Nice. It's one of the most wonderful, uh, one, most wonderful parts of the service too. To stand there as pastor and to to speak the Lord's name and to bless the Lord's people. It's great. So don't leave before the benediction. Yeah, you, to, you don't want to miss that. Okay, what, what theological right, I got buzzwords? Two, I got two uh, buzzwords. These are um, these are both in honor of the Calvinist invasion. Uh, let's see. Either <laughs> you, so you can tell me which one you want. The perseverance of the saints or Resistible prevenient grace. <laughs> um, oh, these Calvinists crack me up. <laughs> for those of you just tuning in um, or just listening to the show for the first time, we keep hearing emails of first-time listeners. We we assume, by the way, that every listener is a first-time listener. <laughs> yeah, because after that, you don't listen anymore. Yeah, what are the odds of coming back? Oh man, <laughs> uh, we you know uh, how I find my buzzwords is by this Calvinistic theopedia. And I hit the random article until I find something that uh, strikes me. And so you got to scroll through all the professors of, of Westminster Seminary to get to <laughs> some theology. Yeah. So that's how I, that's what Evan meant when he says keep hitting the random button. <laughs> okay, what was the first one again? Perseverance of the Saints. Okay, I'll do that one. All right, Perseverance of the Saints is the Calvinist doctrine that those who are truly saved will persevere to the end and cannot lose their salvation. It doesn't mean that the person who's truly saved will never lose faith or backslide at any time, but that they will ultimately persevere in the faith in spite of failures, such uh, and not uh, such as not to lose their salvation. Okay, uh, now... The, the doctrine is rooted in... Here, this is... Is rooted in God's unconditional election and predestination. Uh-huh. Oh, very good. The, now... The fountain source of Calvinist doctrine. Now, I want to hear a Lutheran response to that. Well, it's just wrong. It's just, I mean, <laughs> but here, here's how the Lutheran does it. Because we got instead of having election uh, as the uh, as the fountain source of all doctrine, we have the cross as the fountain source of all doctrine. Comes to us in law and gospel. So someone comes to you and says, "Hey, hey, pastor, can I lose my salvation?" Now, now most of the time, it's not just a theoretical question. It's actually a, 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 they're worried about it. So, they're, they're, and there's two reasons someone would be worried about losing their salvation. Right? One is. One reason is they've done something so terrible that they think they've blown it and they're out. Uh, so, so that means that their conscience is burdened and they need to hear the gospel. Look, Jesus says, no one can snatch you out of my hands. But there are those people who come to you and they say, hey, can, can I lose my salvation? And the reason why they're asking is because they got some sort of terrible sin plotted. <laughs> you know, they're yeah. going to go do something, but they don't want to go to hell for it. You know, they want to make sure they can still be in and commit this crime. And for that person... Uh, the gospel is not is never an excuse for sin. For that person, they need to hear the law, which says, uh, "He who thinks he stands, beware lest he fall." And all the warning of scriptures about losing the faith and losing uh, salvation need to be brought to bear on that person. The law. Uh, so the Calvinist takes only the gospel passages uh, and manage in their marvelous Calvinistic way to turn them into law. 
And the Arminian takes only the law passages, uh, but both the whole counsel of God needs to be considered. So uh, can you lose your salvation? Well, it depends on, it depends. Uh, but if you're just asking it in a purely abstract sort of way, the answer is yes. The scriptures warn that we can lose our salvation. In fact, Paul says that, the, for example, in Galatians 5, you who seek to be justified by circumcision have fallen from grace. So the way you can the way you can lose your salvation is by thinking that you're earning it by your works. That's a frightful sort of idea. Yeah, that's right. Well, I'm glad we got that cleared away for today's program, and you know maybe we'll come back and talk about that uh, later as well. Uh, but now let's listen to uh, one of our voicemails that we got at our voicemail system one eight hundred three eight five sola. This one is a uh, bumper sticker. Uh, actually, it's, you know those little emblems you find on the back of people's cars. Uh, this, yeah. is, this is a theological emblem game. Um, but this is uh, sent to us uh, at 1-800-385-SOLA. Hey, guys. It's Andrew in Southern California. I'm sitting in traffic on my way to court, and I've got some bumper sticker what theology for do? you. Uh, although they're not actually bumper stickers, they are, I don't know, emblems that stick to your bumper. The first one I just saw a few minutes ago was an octopus-looking thing with the letters F-S-M in the middle, which stands uh, for Flying Spaghetti Monster. And uh, I'm sure you guys know that this was the thing created to combat the teaching of intelligent design in the schools. But uh, permit me uh, to read a quote from the creator of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, and maybe you can comment on that since there's actually no words to this bumper sticker. Okay, he says... I think we can all look forward to the time when these three theories are given equal time in our science classrooms across the country, and eventually the world. One-third time for intelligent design, one-third time for flying spaghetti monsterism, and one-third time for logical conjecture based on overwhelming observable evidence. Hmm. So, uh, maybe a comment on the not-so-subtle irony there. Uh, the second one that I just saw... And this may be a little nitpicky, but then I thought to myself, <laughs> it's table talk radio. Uh, and that is the little emblem of the dove, which is meant to represent the Holy Spirit. And I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on the theological implications of how the dove is placed on the bumper, whether it's flying up or whether it's flying down, whether it matters or whether I'm just wasting everyone's time. Thanks for what you're doing, guys. And looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Well, Bye. first, you're not wasting anyone's time. We're wasting people's time for you. So let's just get that straight. <laughs> you, you, dear listeners, are actually wasting your own time. <laughs> I'm not going to take credit for wasting people's time. They're the ones not turning this nonsense off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we, uh, we're actually we're heading into the break. So we're going to discuss these emblems right after the break. The uh, flying spaghetti monster and whether or not it matters if the, the, you know, the Holy Spirit dove is flying up or down. On the back of the the car, uh, <laughs> I'd never thought of that before. I gotta be honest. Um, we'll discuss it. Uh, you can give us a call one eight hundred three eight five SOLA or send us an Sola. email questions at tabletalkradio.org. More bumper sticker theology right after this. Don't go away.
part-time hosts, full-time nonsense. You're listening to Table Talk Radio. And we're back at Table Talker Radio. Okay, we need to respond to, to Andrew in California. Uh, let's let's do the the Holy Spirit sticker first or the emblem. What do you think? Does it matter if the if the thing's going up or down? I mean, this is kind of consumer's choice. You you buy this this uh, Holy Spirit emblem and you can you can point it any way you want. I did. Yeah. Are there instructions? Uh, I don't I think so. If it I mean, comes with instructions, place we... coming down or place flying up. <laughs> I've only ever seen it heading down, which yeah. probably is the right way. Yeah. So, so I mean, you have instructions. If you're a Lutheran, place this way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> if you're a Pentecostal, it should be placed up at yeah. a four-degree angle. Yeah. No, I, if you're I think... you're Jewish, it should be pointed all times towards Jerusalem. <laughs> the Holy Spirit comes to us. It's a matter of descent. Well, although you know, remember this uh, this little um, theological phrase that from the Father through the Son, in the Holy Spirit, and then the way that it works backwards is from the Holy Spirit through the Son to the Father. So the Holy Spirit bears our prayers through the Son and carries them then to the Father. So uh, there is this sense that uh, there's kind of a chain of. Um, Oh, it's not a chain of being, or it's not a chain of command. It's just there's there's this link between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit um, in, in the way that the, the, it's re- relating to us. There's probably a theological word for that that Pastor Charmley knows. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to ask him <laughs> later. Okay, what about the the flying the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster? I don't know how that guy knows everything. You know, he corrects us with stuff that we never even heard of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the flying spaghetti monster. So one third time. I don't know how. Uh, is that? Uh, is that by the way, Andrew from California, Andrew Deloach, the famous apologist. I think it is from uh, Take the Stand uh, radio program on Pirate Christian Radio. I really hope that he doesn't listen too much to our show. It's going to totally <laughs> ruin his program. Yeah, ruin him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think so. Stay serious, my friend. That's like the. Uh, <laughs> that's like that commercial. Uh, except for you don't watch TV. I know. Uh, but there's this guy, the most interesting man in the world. Stay thirsty, my friends. I like that commercial. Yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. Now, this flying spaghetti monster there, so he is invented to kind of, and I don't mind when um, when uh, when atheists involve involve themselves in a little humorous rhetoric. The flying spaghetti monster is supposed to point out the absurdity of uh, of theists. We believe in God, and they just make up a God to believe in too, you know. And they and the atheists will always do this sort of thing. Hey, hey, back in the old days they believed in Zeus. You believe in Zeus? No. And then in the even older days they believed in uh, Baal. Do you believe in Baal? Well, no. And then back in the even older days they believed in Mother Earth. Do you believe in Mother Earth? And now they're kind of stuck because half the people around say, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyways, you know they believed in Zeus and Poseidon. You don't believe in all that sort of nonsense. Well, what makes you think that uh, that uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is any different? Well, because they're the true God, and all these others are made up. Well, they say, well, we'll just make up a God, and so then we can point out the absurdity. And the God they make up is the flying spaghetti monster, and he has a little logo. And you could probably go onto his. You could. I, I don't know what the baptism of the flying spaghetti monster is like. It's probably a rather messy sort of thing. Tomato sauce. <laughs> I don't know if the Meatballs. flying spaghetti monster, yeah, has meat or not. Probably not, because 
half the uh, atheists I know are vegetarian. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say he probably has a couple meatballs for his eyes or something like that. Oh, yeah, they're like, uh, but they're probably um, tofu meatballs or whatever. Right. And, and But then, the, so here's the, you want three equal time. We want in one part time for intelligent design, one part time for the flying spaghetti monsterism, and, and one part of time for the logical, overwhelming logical evidence. But the problem is with that, that, that would be two parts time for intelligent design and one part for flying spaghetti monster. <laughs> because intelligent design is not a religious theory. It's not. It's a it's it's natural reason. Now we know we can know things from natural theology, from looking at the world. We can know that God is good, big, and mad. Or put it, mad, uh, big, good, and mad. We know those three things about God from natural. Uh, revelation. So that the fact that God is good and big—that's the creation business. That God, someone made this thing and they did it uh, kind of nicely, and everyone can know that apart from any sort of revealed knowledge. So that you have to start to ask yourself when you talk to the atheists. Now, don't ask them this because they'll get incredibly upset with you. I know this from experience. <laughs> ask yourself the question: Why are these guys refusing to look at natural revelation? Why are they refusing to look at natural knowledge? Why are they refusing to admit this sort of stuff? There's something going on. There's something that happened uh, to them in college when they were growing up at home or something. There's something that happened that made the, that blinded them to, to, to the obvious fact that everyone in the world can see that someone made this big mess. I mean, someone created this universe. Someone put all this stuff together. There's something that just blinds the atheist to seeing that. And it's not the evidence. It's something else. But you start poking around those doors, and uh, and uh, just be warned, my friends. You don't get invited back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, now, I think the answer then to um, the, the atheist who's posing this question, do you believe in Zeus? Um, I think the answer is that I only believe in gods who rise from the dead and have historical evidence of of such a feat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah that's that, right. You, there is something about the fact. Have I have I been on this thing, this kick yet? That uh, that our Bible is the only holy book with maps in. Yes, it? yes. You okay? Then never yeah. mind. But that's the point. Go it's back to the table talk radio archives for that discussion. I blocked all the things we've talked about out of my mind. Yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> but yeah, I was. I had this conversation one time um, that uh, you know this. Because every every, uh, every religion's holy book um, has has circular reasoning within it, saying that it is the inspired word of God, you know, uh, and and the difference between uh, our scriptures and that of everyone else's, um, because our you know Second uh, Timothy three also for us says that uh, holy scripture is is God breathed. Um, the difference though is is that our scriptures are validated by the death and resurrection of Jesus, that that Jesus testifies to the veracity of the Holy Scriptures, and he did what he said he was going to do. He rose from the dead. Now, what other religion claims that? What other religion claims that uh, that God had has taken on human flesh, uh, died for the the sins of all humanity, giving salvation, the free gift, uh, free gift to all humanity, um, and then and then. Rising from the dead. You know, that's only Christianity. Right. That's right. So, okay. Uh, I think we have time for one more. I want to get into this this uh, email question sent to us at questions at tabletalkradio.org by Brett in Dalton, Minnesota. He says, um, Dear Wolf the Mystic Hunter. <laughs> hey, that's me. Your, your self-proclaimed titles stick with our listeners. I don't know why. Oh. 
all you, I mean, I, they, they're kind of put off by all the accolades you all constantly heap on me. Like, uh, <laughs> theological bull rider. And what was the other one? Iron preacher. All these things that you're trying to call me. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Here, here's the email. In your quest to stamp out mysticism, I am wondering if you would first clarify for me uh, how you would understand the monergistic work of God to bring salvation to individuals. Here's what I'm thinking. When God brings repentance and faith to us, it can appear to us to be mystical. Uh, can it appear to us to be mystical in nature? Maybe I'm just confused between emotions and mysticism. Uh, I just don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. Yes, I, I think I answered that, but maybe I answered it in the email and not on the air. I, this is, I, and it's a, it's a very profound insight because when the Lord comes to us to convert us. He is converting our heart, our will, our whatever that is. He, he's changing our mind. He's he's taking us from death to life, and he, it's us that he's changing. Now, we know we have a kind of sense of that change. I mean, it might not be you don't feel it, or I mean, maybe you feel it, you, you, but you, you you know you have some sort of sense that the Lord is changing me. Now, the temptation then is to think that because the Lord is changing this thing that's inside of me, my heart, my will, etc. That, that, that this is where all the action is. But he's he's using external means to do it. The word of God preached, uh, the baptism and the Lord's Supper, these things. He's using these external means to make an internal change. Now, uh, the danger then with mysticism is that we we ignore the external means and we we consider it all to be internal actions. See? Mm-hmm. So there, there's the danger. Right. So I think this is very profound insight that we, we, what we have a sense of is the, is the resulting changes that occur inside of us. Then the danger is losing sight of these external things that the Lord is using to, to affect the change. Right. So mysticism and emotion are not the same thing. Uh, mysticism seeks a, a connection with the divine through the emotions, but uh, emotions as a result of uh, the external word and the sacraments um, is not mysticism. Is that fair right. enough? That's right. Okay. That's right. Yeah. So, so, so feelings, see, uh, feelings are not, th- this is the thing with feelings, is that we have then in the ninth and 10th commandments even, just as we meditate on the catechism, we have the sense that our feelings themselves uh, can and are often wrong. So it's not that the feelings are, are, are bad. It's just like everything else. It can be good or they can be bad. If our feelings are confirming the fact that the Lord is working in us through his gift of his word and baptism, etc., then that's fe- those feelings are right. If our feelings, on the other hand, uh, think that God is working apart from those means or uh, that God isn't working through those means or whatever, then our feelings themselves are wrong and have to be brought under the uh, corrective um, rubric of the scriptures. Yeah, very that good. That sounded Calvinist, doesn't it? Rubric. Oh, we'll get, we'll get that in the next couple segments when we have Pastor Charmley on, uh, which is coming up right after this break, so you don't want to go Ooh. away uh, for that. Uh, you can sign up for Table Talk Radio text message alerts. Pastor, are you, are you signed up for text message alerts? I think so. Okay. I haven't gotten one in a while. <laughs> That's true. Someone needs to send some alerts out. But to do that, you can take out your cell phone and text message uh, to the number 69302. The table, ter- the, the <laughs> table talk is a key word altogether, one word. 69302, table talk. And uh, you'll be signed up for Table Talk Radio text message alerts. You are listening to Table Talk Radio. We'll be right back with Pastor Charmley. Don't go away.
There isn't a way in the English language to indicate we are using the singular you. But thank you for listening to Table Talk Radio. Welcome back to Table Talk Radio. Uh, on the line, we have Pastor Charmley uh, with us from the Stoke-on-Trent, United Kingdom, uh, and uh, joins us through the technology of Skype. Welcome, Pastor Charmley, to Table Talk Radio. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so a, a lot of a lot of uh, a Lutheran uh, things get going, and then they're just kind of disrupted by Calvinism. Table Talk Radio is, is no different. <laughs> <laughs> we have. I, do, I thought we had lost Pastor Charmley as a listener, by the way, when I had said that uh, he had two things going against him having a sense of humor. The first being that he's a Calvinist, and the second being that he's British. But I, I think I'm gonna. I have to modify. I, this, we got another uh, funny uh, email from a Calvinist listener this morning, and I, so I'm gonna have to modify my thesis, Pastor Charmley. You can tell me what you think. Is that? If you're a Calvinist, then you don't have a sense of humor, unless, this is the one exception, you're a listener to Table Talk Radio. That might not be the case. <laughs> now, I'll get the ball rolling, because I have a question for Pastor Charmley, since he, he's in these circles. Um, of, of the number, and you can do, I don't know, a, a, a figure or a percentage, whatever you have, um, of, of the number of people that teach double predestination, how many of them believe that they're retrobate? Just about four of them. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, well, let's get, I, I, I do want to talk about... In Scotland. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to talk about some of the differences between Calvinism and Lutheranism, because they are theological cousins, but they are... They are fantastically important, but but I, this is what I would like to know, Pastor Charmley. You you um you have your ear to some of the Lutheran radio, our show and Chris Roseborough's show and some of the others. Um, are there are there Calvinist? Well, uh, what are the Calvinist straw men that the Lutherans put up? Hmm, good question. Well, the, the most obvious one is the uh, Calvinists are Nestorians. <laughs> As propagated by Pastor Wolf Mueller on this show. <laughs> It's a bit more complicated. What did we sort that out? Did I do a, like? Did I half repent of that? Yes, I think you did. Yes. I half repented. That's it. Still comes out, and I, I agree. There's some Calvinists who are that way inclined. They won't won't sing songs that talk about uh, Christ as uh, God dying on the cross. And we yeah, should. What does that come from? So, I mean, really, where the Lutherans accuse the Calvinists of being Nestorian is when it comes to the doctrine of the Lord's Supper, because um, because what they say is, and t- and tell me if this is if this is right, but if you have the spiritual, if you have the presence in the Lord's Supper of the divine nature of Christ, but the but the human nature is removed from that in the sense that the human nature stands only at the right hand of God and cannot be physically located in all these multiple places, then the the, the Lutherans read into that that as a Nestorianism, and, and by Nestorianism we mean a division of the two natures of Christ. I think what the Calvinists mean is a little bit more specific, which is the, the, make it, the, the division in such a way as to make them two persons, and right. uh, that none of, us would, none of us would teach. Although, as I say, I haven't come across one fellow who said we shouldn't sing, and can it be, because it contains the line, that thou, my God, shouldst die for me. Um, Funnily enough, we sang that uh, yesterday at uh, the church here in Stoke. So, 
Partly just you find yourself when you're singing those story. hymns in church that you uh, that you sing extra loud when you're singing the parts that you know people might disagree with. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, have to, I have to be careful there because if I sing extra loud, I put the rest of the congregation off. <laughs> <laughs> What else? What about see? What, this is the one I'm particularly interested in because the the Lutheran will see the fount and source of all Calvinist doctrine as um, as somewhere around the, the kind of theological topic of sovereignty, and it, and that'll manifest itself in election or double predestination. Uh, but the, that the sovereignty of God is what's running the show in Calvinism is that uh, is that a true um, is that a true summary or do you want to put some subtlety on that or what do you think? Well, I, I, I can't say, obviously speak for all Calvinists. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit bizarre in this respect. I'm an ex, ex-liberal Anglican who's now a Calvinistic pastor in a small church that used to be Pentecostal. So it's a slightly <laughs> odd situation there. But in some cases, I'd say, yes, there are people who, sovereignty is everything. But really what we have to do is, is to say, well, what does the, the Bible teach? And there's more and more Calvinists today who are saying, well, no, the idea of finding a central dogma in Calvinism is a, a false project in the first place. That there isn't a central dogma, apart possibly from the, well, central dogma is the, the deity of Christ. It's interesting, um, Calvin himself, when he wrote the Institutes, he doesn't start off with the sovereignty of God. And we shouldn't. We start off, well, obviously, we have to say, well, God is sovereign over all things. Um, after all, the alternative is, as Luther points out in the bondage of the will, the alternative is the, the, the claim of free will, that man is sovereign over all things. There's some pretty awful theology along those lines around. Yeah, I know. I have to listen to Evan all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, Lutheranism and Calvinism in the UK is a bit difficult because we have about as many Lutherans in this country as there are worldwide listeners of tabletop radio. <laughs> I know it's the there's it's only the one Calvinist listener who are there. buying. <laughs> yeah, we, we are the only show with more listeners than uh, wait more hosts than listeners, right? And now more <laughs> guests than listeners. I think. Uh, well, well, I mean, there are. I mean, the Calvinists do have an affinity for Luther, especially bondage of the will and this sort of thing. Um, but an unwillingness to go all the way with the guy. What's that come from? What's the problem there, Pastor Charmley? Well, I think in part it comes down to Luther being a German. <laughs> <laughs> No, the English, we, we just kind of ignore the fact that Calvin's French, because after all, this is one, one country that the, the English dislike more than the Germans, it's French. <laughs> he was in, uh, wasn't he? He was in Switzerland for quite a while, wasn't he? Yes, I think we, we tend to say, well, he was in Switzerland, he, um, he had to, had more contact with the English than, than did, uh, did Luther. So we, we give him a pass on being French and we say he was Swiss. <laughs> That's right. Just plug your nose and say Swiss. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sure that that accounts for the Calvinist being so peaceful. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the Calvinist goes, goes more with the old Swiss tendency to hide themselves out as mercenaries to beat up anybody who has to be beating up. <laughs> Man, well, what is it about Lutheran doctrine, though? What, uh, what I mean, what's your, what's the worst thing? If you, I mean, here, here's a shot at it. What's the, 
from a from a Calvinist perspective, where do Lutherans fall off the cart? What's the um, what's the most dangerous uh, uh, teaching that we have? Well, I would say that the the, the the point at which the Lutherans and the Calvinists disagree is the sacraments. Uh, baptism in the Lord's Supper, I, I guess you're talking baptism about. Baptism in the Lord's Supper. Is baptism used in regeneration? Uh, it's born again in baptism. And uh, is the... I mean, I'm not sure many Calvinists actually understand the, the Lutheran position of the Lord's Supper ubiquity. Because I don't. <laughs> it's really not that complicated. <laughs> I understand I think, this idea that the yeah the communicatio idiomatum isn't it to use the Latin, and we should use the Latin. Because that way, uh, sounds like we're talking about. Well, yeah, the, the, that. Um, uh, but maybe even more. I mean, it's the it's the um, it's the specific discussion of. Uh, of the divine attributes being communicated to the human nature of Christ, but but look, I, I mean I think that develops simply out of the discussion for the Lutherans, anyways, of the words of our Lord when He says, "This is my body." Now you got to, oh, yes. I mean, you yes. sit around and sort out what that means, but if you want mm. to, but but you start with a point where you just simply believe what the words say, and mm. um, and I think that's the Lutheran position is it, is that it's just that simple. This is my body mm. is true. And I think what it comes down to is that the, the Calvinists, well, part of the problem is there's an awful lot of Calvinists today, not so much Presbyterians, but particularly Baptists and uh, independent Calvinists who are basically Zwinglian. So they would say, well, there is no presence at all. And I think the Baptists, the tendency has been to say, well, the sacraments are things that, uh, that we do. Whereas the historic Calvinist position is to say, well, actually, actually the historic Baptist position as well, just most Baptists are historically ignorant, particularly American Baptists, then I find that Americans have a historic, historical ignorance tendency. And my, my dad's a, a university professor, he used to teach history, and in fact he taught history in America for a, a while. He said the problem was, when he arrived at the, the college, the problem was he didn't have any history books that were that went back more than three hundred years. <laughs> All right, let's let's uh, take a commercial break right there. More with Pastor Charmley. Uh, pa- Pastor Charmley, what's the name of your church uh, out there at the Stoke on Trent? Bethel Evangelical Free Church, which has no connection whatsoever to the Evangelical Free Church of America. Understood. All right, we'll be right back. More with Pastor Charmley. Right after this, you are listening to Table Talk Radio, and uh, we'll be right back after this first break. Don't go away. I never really loved you anyway. Table Talk Radio. <laughs> no, that's just silly. 
There is no way to capture the wonderful gifts that the Lord gives in baptism, but I've worked on a baptismal certificate that tries, that tries to capture the scriptures and the Lord's teaching of grace and mercy and forgiveness in baptism. Baptismal certificates that you can hang on the wall and treasure for a lifetime. If you go to wolfsoncreative.com, you can find these certificates, order them for your church or for your family as well. That's W-O-L-F-S-O-N. C-R-E-A-T-I-V-E dot com. All right, welcome back to Table Talk Radio here with uh, Pastor Charlie, and uh, he's answering uh, all of... Uh, all of Lutheran's questions for a Calvinist for us. Uh, he's he's our uh, uh, resident Calvinist to ask questions to here on Table Talk Radio. <laughs> yeah, it's probably two in the morning for Pastor Charmley or something in England. <laughs> and isn't it? It's, uh, it's winter over there, right? I mean, uh, summer or something. <laughs> I'm just. I'm just. What a sunshine driving around today. <laughs> oh, that's well. I, look, I, I don't wonder if there's more. There's, uh, I mean, you you know this uh, theory. My favorite theory about why the Reformation happened was because it was so cold in Germany. <laughs> I wonder if there's something about that Calvinists and. Now, I, uh, Pastor Charmley, you mentioned um, that. Uh, uh, I mean, first of all, but talking about the historical ignorance of Americans, I appreciate that. <laughs> but second of all, that the main difference between Lutherans and Calvinists is the means of grace. I kind of I want to I want to explore that in two different directions because one is I, I've never met two Calvinists who had the same doctrine of baptism. I mean, it seems like there's four doctrines of baptism for each two Calvinists. It's crazy. <laughs> but I, so I don't. But then the other thing I I, I think this um, this kind of is a manifestation of a deeper theological uh, distinction, which is n- namely that the Lutherans understand. Uh, just uh, I mean, our Lutheran Lutheran teaching is built on the understanding that the Lord uses means, resistible means, weak means, to convert the heart. The gospel preached, the uh, baptism uh, 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 given, uh, the Lord's Supper distributed, that the Lord is working through these means. He, he, these are means of his grace. And the Calvinist doesn't have means. Grace comes immediately through the direct work of the Holy Spirit inside of a person. Is that a fair distinction to make? I don't think so. I think it, we have to make the difference, for example, and you know, folk like the Whitehall Sin people, Mike Hawkman and company, would say you have to make the difference between, and I think it's true, you have to make the difference between the modern neo-Calvinists, the young rest of the reform types, and uh, the real Calvinists, the confessional Calvinists. So I, I during the break, pulled out my copy of uh, the Savoy Declaration, the Congregational Calvinist Confession of Faith, of the sacraments, chapter 28, sacraments are holy signs and seals of the covenant of grace, immediately instituted by Christ to represent him and his benefits, and to confirm our interest in him, and solemnly to engage us to the service of God in Christ according to his word. There is in every sacrament a spiritual relation or sacramental union between the sign and the thing signified, Whence it comes to pass, the names and effects of the one are attributed to the other. 
Do you can you translate that for me, Evan? I didn't understand the British. <laughs> I need that. In, I need that brought into America. I actually don't. I, I have no idea what the what the union is between the thing signified and the and the sacrament itself. I, I don't. I mean, I really don't understand what that means, Pastor Charlie. The first point is there is a a union, so it goes on. The grace which is exhibited in or by the sacraments rightly used is not conferred by any power in them. This is against the Roman Catholic position of uh, ex opere operatum, and not against uh, the Lutheran position. Neither doth the efficacy of a sacrament depend on the piety or intention of him that doth administer it, but upon the work of the Spirit and the word of institution, which contains, together with a precept authorizing the use thereof, a promise of benefit to worthy receivers. And the worthy, in that case, will be by faith. So, for example, those who do not receive the Lord, who receive the Lord's Supper without faith, we are told in 1 Corinthians, are drinking, eating and drinking condemnation and not a blessing. This so is no very interesting benefit. because the, when the Lutheran confessions, uh, they'll talk about, uh, for example, worthy reception of the sacrament, and they'll say that, mm. The, that the unworthy receives the body and blood of Christ. This is the um, manducatio indignorum, the eating of the unworthy. And that was directed specifically against the Calvinists, who at that time said, that if you don't have faith, you don't have the gift, you don't have the sacrament, you, uh, you have nothing. Yeah, uh, but that's different than what you're, and I forgot even what you're reading from. Uh, what is this, this thing is again? This is the Savoy Declaration, which is the 17th century congregational confession of faith, which is based on, but is slightly different from, the Westminster Confession. Ah, so this, ah. Is, this is English Calvinism, not, uh, con- not continental Calvinism. So it's the English, been, not the Dutch. I've been shooting my missiles at the wrong coordinates. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, Master Trump, I have a question for you. Um, uh, but before I ask it, I want because I don't want to set up a straw man as as we talked about earlier. Uh, can we can we um, would a, would a Calvinist rightly say that because uh, because we have the elect and the retrobate that Jesus or God hasn't forgiven everyone, but God has only forgiven the elect. Is would you, is that right to say? It would be more complicated than that. Calvinist position would be God has forgiven those who have believed on the Lord Jesus. Okay. So, and it depends if you're looking at it from the standpoint of eternity, in which case, obviously, when all this world is over, then those who are in hell have not been forgiven, and that's why they're in hell. But if you're looking at the present time, but even say those who are elect who have not yet believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, their sins have not been forgiven, and they are they will be forgiven, but at the moment they are children of wrath, even as others, as the apostle says. But even the the retrobate uh, here and now and for all eternity are not and will not be forgiven. Well, they wouldn't if they were forgiven. They wouldn't be in hell. Okay, fair enough. So now, in other in, words, forgiveness is the other side of God, is the reverse of condemnation. So if someone is condemned, they are not forgiven. Okay. And vice versa. Now, in, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us uh, to forgive those who trespass against us. And my yes. question for you is, why does God have us do something which he himself hasn't done? Well, we are not 
they thought we are not the ultimate judge. And I, I am not to sit in judgment upon another. And the thing is, you see, I, I wonder if there is a, if the, the issue here doesn't go further back, which is our definition of forgiveness. In other words, God is willing to forgive all who come to Christ by faith. Now, I'm, I'm wondering, are you defining forgiveness as an attitude of willingness to forgive in God's case? Because obviously, if God has forgiven everybody, then we have universalism. That is to say, if everyone is forgiven, then everyone is going to heaven. There is therefore something about the the unbeliever, let's speak in, in general, reformed and um, reformational categories here, there is something about the unbeliever that results in him going to hell. Now, one of the Calvin straw men often brought up is that of equal ultimacy, that God looks on a whole load of people who haven't done anything yet um, and who are innocent and then says, well, this not going to hell, or this not going to heaven. But actually, the Calvinist position is that God looks upon the mass of sinful humanity who are going to hell and says, I will say, out of this mass of damnation, certain persons, not for things they have done, but out of my own good pleasure. Now, there is something in the reprobate that leads them to go to hell, i.e. their sin. There is something in those who go to hell that leads them going. They go for their own fault. They are condemned for their own sins. And if those sins have been forgiven, then how can they be condemned for them? And you, you see the, the issue here. Yeah, I do. I, I think someone is using the word forgiveness in a rather loose way. <laughs> uh, well, I, I mean, that someone is you. I under, yeah, I, I thought that. I wasn't sure. Thanks for bringing that up, though, Pastor. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. See, it's usually the Lutherans that you know make the 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 you very specific. Um, no, <laughs> now, but I think you know, you hear Lutherans make the distinction um, between objective and subjective justification, and I think we have it right there in John three sixteen. For God so loved the uh, entire world, the cosmos. Um, yet it's those who believe on him, those who have faith, that, that receive the benefits of, of what Christ has done for the entire world. Now, how would you respond so, to that? Well, I would say those who have faith are forgiven. And those who do not have faith, if they are condemned for their sins, which I, I'm sure you and I would agree with, then they are not forgiven, those sins. So those... Now... I could look up look up the Bible text, but the text is the, the Lord speaking, commissioning the apostles, and he says, whoever's um, sins you remit are remitted, and whoever's are retained, you retain are retained. Talking about the keys of the kingdom. And I, I would say, I, even we would agree, we would agree, because the scripture says so, that Christ died for the sins of the whole world. So that Christ's, Christ's death is sufficient to pardon everybody and is received by faith. All right, Pastor Chumley, I'm afraid we're out of time, but we give you one million Table Talk Radio points for coming in the lion's den and talking to us on Table Talk Radio. 
Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's all the time we have. Thanks for listening to Table Talk Radio. Where the points are like the benefit of the blood of Jesus to the, to the retrobate, according to the Westminster Confession. <laughs> You've been listening to Table Talk Radio. The views expressed on this show are that of the hosts and do not reflect the views or opinions of this station. We would like your feedback on today's show. Call us toll-free, 1-800-385-SOLA. That's 1-800-385-SOLA. Or send us an email, questions at tabletalkradio.org. You can listen again to this show or any of our past shows on our website, tabletalkradio.org. Thanks for listening and tune in again next time to Table Talk Radio.